Amen. 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 Let's uh, read from John chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. It says this. Let's be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour has come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. You may be seated, may be, be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. It is good to be here this morning. Uh, it's an honor uh, to be able to stand here in this place. Brother Todd, thank you so much for giving us this opportunity. Powell's Chapel, thank you. Uh, I appreciate it so much. Uh, this morning, our brother has read our text verses to you. And just by way of introduction, uh, I'd like to cover just a little bit of background before we get into the 13th chapter. You know, we live in a very uh, proud and egotistical generation today, and, you know, the acceptable thing now is to promote yourself and uh, praise ourselves and, and try to lift our own selves up. Pride's actually considered a virtue in our day and time. And humility is actually considered a weakness. This morning as we look into these passages of scripture, I think we're gonna find one of the supreme examples of humility that the world has ever known in that and what our Lord does here in this 13th chapter of the gospel according to John. Our Lord has now ended his ministry as a whole to the nations. We read in John's Gospel, chapter number 12, and verse number 36, that after he had spake these things, our Lord Jesus did hide himself. And from this point forward, from the 13th chapter throughout, he is dealing with a personal ministry to his disciples. And as we look into these verses of scripture this morning, we find that our Lord in his humility, he bends down and he washes his disciples' feet. He gives us an ultimate example of what each and every one of us should be doing for one another. As we look into these passages, I know that there are Baptist people that actually make the act of foot washing uh, an actual ordinance. And I want to say just by way of introduction that myself, I, I wouldn't have a problem uh, going to or even being a member of a church that practiced foot washing, as long as they preach and teach the gospel of Christ in his purity. We find our Lord doing something here that is, is very strange. It's, it's, it's very strange. Not the act of washing feet, but because that was kind of a custom in, in that day, 
there were dirt roads. There, there weren't nice paved roads like we have. And, and, and they wore sandals. And as a person walked through the communities and the villages, they would get their feet dirty. So it was a custom of that day that whenever you would enter into a home, that there would be a basin of water set by the door and the servant, the slave, if you would, of the household would actually bend down and take a towel and wash the guest's feet. It was, it was perfectly normal for a slave to wash the feet of his master. We find that even the disciples of the Pharisees, though, would not allow their disciples to wash their feet. They would make a common slave do that. They said our disciples are not going to do the menial task, the humble task, if you will, of washing my feet. Here we find our Lord taking the form not only of a servant but of a slave. This act takes Peter by such a surprise in verse number 8 that Peter says, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus tells him in verse number 9, he says, what I'm doing now, you don't understand. If I don't wash you, I don't, you don't have any part with me. Well, Peter then changes his mind and he says, well, Lord, don't just stop with my feet. Wash my hands, wash my head, wash me all over. For us to know what a person, why a person, not what a person, but why a person does something odd or strange, we must first understand what that person is thinking. Because it is our thinking processes that produce what we say and the acts that we do. The old adage, you know, I did that without thinking, well, that's really not true. Because it is our thinking processes that determine how we react, what we say, and what we do. So if we're going to understand what our Lord meant here as he washes his disciples' feet, what we're going to have to do is get into his divine mind and find out exactly what he was thinking when he performed this act of foot washing. Now get the picture here. A week before, as Brother Todd said, he enters into Jerusalem triumphantly on a donkey. They're throwing palm branches down and they're shouting, Hosanna to the king. Just a short few days later, we find our Lord in this upper room alone with his disciples. And he takes this basin of water and he washes their feet. But just before this, we find according to Luke's gospel, chapter number 22, that there was a great argument between his very own disciples. Who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Doesn't that sound like a bunch of us? Who's going to be the top dog? Who's going to make the decisions? Who's going to ring the bell? Well, what our Lord does is he, he says, I'm going to show you something. I'm going to give you an example. And I want this example to follow you. And I want you to do this.
two people can do the very exact same thing and there's it depends on how they're thinking their motives that determine the outcome we it's recorded in scripture in many places where men would come and and kiss our lord but the kiss of judas's chariot was one of deceit and betrayal that's what made the difference there's two verses here that, that kind of tell us what our Lord was thinking whenever he did this. Look with me, if you will, back in the 13th chapter, verse number 1. Verse number 1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. You see that word knew? That's his thinking. That's what was in his mind. Jesus knew that was his thinking processes. Now, he's not thinking about his betrayal by Judas Iscariot. He's not thinking about that. He's not thinking about the cruel beatings that's coming his way. He's not thinking about all that. He's not thinking about the mock trials by the Sanhedrin that he's fixing to face just hours away. He's not thinking of that. He's not thinking about the arrest by some 600 to 1,000 temple police and soldiers that come to arrest him in the garden at Gethsemane. He's not thinking about that. It goes further beyond that. He's looking further beyond all that. What he is looking at, he goes beyond all these things and he's thinking about being back in the presence of his father where he began. That's what he's looking for. In his mind and in his thinking, that's where he's at already. The second verse that we see here is in verse number three. It says, and Jesus knowing, there's his thinking again. That's what's in his mind. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things unto his hand, that it was come from God, and that he went to God. In his thinking, in his mind, he was going back to his rightful place, seated at the right hand of his Father in heaven for you and me. His thinking processes. And you know, that. let me give you an example of that. People in church are the same way. Now, I've been pastoring 25, 30 years, and, and I know, trust me, that you can be here physically. You can be listening to Brother Frank preach this morning, but in your mind, you're somewhere else. In your thinking processes, you may be at the Cracker Barrel right now, but you're here physically in this church listening to Brother Frank preach. That makes sense? Jesus was physically in the upper room. Physically, he was washing his disciples' feet. But in his mind, in his mind and in his thinking, he had already ascended back to his Father, doing what he's going to be doing for us today. Chapter 13 gives us this parable of action. This parable of action where our Lord rolls back the curtains of glory and he shows each and every one of us what he's going to be doing for us in heaven. 
And the next statement I'm about to make is very important. So please don't miss this statement. Even though our Lord washed his disciples' feet here on earth, it was not an earthly ministry, but a heavenly, a heavenly ministry. And what he was showing them is when I get to heaven, when I'm back in the presence of my Father, what I'm going to be doing is keeping you clean, washing your feet. You can search, and I challenge you to do this. You can search your Bibles from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, and you will not find anything other than the fact that what our Lord Jesus is doing for us right now is he is our mediator, our great high priest. It is our go-between, us and God. That's what he's doing. There's three washings that are mentioned here in these passages of Scripture. And it starts in verse number 10. And if you don't mind, please follow along with me here as we look at these three washings that our Lord demonstrates here. The first we see, Jesus saith unto him, he that is washed. Now, the conversation has kind of went like this. And I briefly covered it earlier. Our Lord is, he disrobes himself. He takes off his outer garment and he keeps uh, probably just his inner linen cloth on because he's performing the act of a slave. He takes a towel and he girds himself. He wraps this towel around himself and he takes this basin of water that's been prepared. Because the disciples had come down the dusty road as they made their way to that upper room and their feet were dirty. And as they argued back and forth about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, Jesus just arises from the supper. He girds himself with his towel. He bends down in a servant slave position. And he takes the feet of those disciples. Those dirty feet of those disciples. He puts them in his hands and he starts to clean the filth and the grime. They're in his hands. And he cleans that filth and grime away from them. And old Peter, he's standing over here and he's watching what's going on. And he realizes that his Lord, his master, his teacher is bent down and acting as a slave. And he says, Lord, here is what we call the bath of regeneration. It's what we call salvation. It's where we start. It's where we begin. And Jesus says in this passage here, he says, 
He that is washed. Now, now, now look at this. Y'all look up here at me. Come on now. There you go. There you go. Hope you got your Bibles open. You got your Bibles open. Is that right? All right. We're looking at, at John's Gospel, chapter 13, and verse number 10. Jesus says to him, Peter, he that is washed. Now look at this. That word washed there, it is a Latin word, baptos. It is the Greek word, luos. It is where we get our English word, bath. And what he is saying right there is, Peter, you who have had the bath of regeneration, you don't need that again. It's done. It's over. It's complete. You don't need it anymore. Titus chapter 3 and verse number 5. Please turn over there with me and look at this passage of Scripture. Titus chapter 3 and verse number 5. This is the same word that is used here in John's gospel, chapter 13, verse number 10, for, for washed. The first word washed. Paul says to the young pastor Titus, he says in this letter here, chapter 3 and verse number 5. He says, not by works of righteousness which we have done. But according to his mercy, he has saved us by the washing, by the luos, by the baptos, by the bath of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. He has saved us by washing us, washing us, complete bath. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you don't mind, please. This is, a, is, this is the complete path. And this is where it's used again. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. And I'm going to start reading with verse number 9. It says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, nor adulterers, nor infeminate nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were, thank God for the word were, some of you, but you're washed. You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Amen. There we were. There we were in all of our sin and our conditions, our depravity, our wickedness. And what does he do? Titus 3, 5 said, it's not by works of righteousness that we have done. It's not because you joined the church. It's not because you turned over a new leaf. It's not because you took a list of ABCs on what somebody has told you you must do. It is because he has done something for you. You see, in the, in the law, it used to talk about ceremonial cleansing. And it would mention the hands and the feet. But in the New Testament, under the under the... Under grace, it just talks about the feet because there's no need for handwork anymore. The law said things have to be done. Grace says it's already done. We've been washed. We've been regenerated. 
We've been sanctified. And bless God in heaven, it's eternal. It's forever. What does he use? Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 5. This is the element that he uses to wash us. Revelations chapter number 1 and verse number 5. Please turn there. The Bible says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten from the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us. There's that word again. He washed us from our sins in what? His own Blood, bless God. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Sing it, church. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Folks, that's all it is. That first washing. That bath of regeneration, that complete eternal bath is washed in his blood. Turn back now with me to John's Gospel chapter 13 and let's look at the second bath that he does here. He portrays in this act of foot washing. As I said, this is an eternal bath. Once you've had this bath, you never need to do it again. Verse 10 says... He that is washed, luost, baptized, bath, this bath of regeneration, needeth not. Needeth not. You don't need to do it again. John's Gospel, chapter 10. Listen to these passages of Scripture. John's Gospel, chapter 10, in verse number 27, he says, My sheep. They hear my voice, I know them, they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. Now, how long is eternal? That's forever and ever and ever and ever. And if you ask, and ever. This bath is eternal. It never has to be performed again. And look at this. He gives us eternal life. They shall neither, never perish. And neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And you know, I had somebody tell me one time, yeah, preacher, you're right about that verse, but I can walk out on my own. Well, well there's something about the old King James Bible. That word man there is italicized, and that means that's been added by the translators for easy flow of reading. That word's not there. He said, neither shall any That's including you pluck out of the Father's hand. But you know, I never could wrap my mind around that. Once a person has been illuminated, their eyes has been opened, their ears has been unplugged, they see the glories of heaven, they they know the love and the grace of Jesus Christ, they've seen all this, they've tasted it, they enjoy it, they, they bask in it. And then all of a sudden they said, no, I'm going to choose the devil. I want to go to hell. I want to burn forever. I don't want to go to heaven. Does that make sense? No. You know why? Because you can't walk out. Just like a sheep going astray, that shepherd will grab you by the neck and jerk you back in. And if you keep on going out, you know what that shepherd does? He picks you up. He hangs them front legs of that sheep over his arm. He snaps. 
there was that rod. So you can't walk no more. But you know what? That's closeness to the shepherd. You can't walk, so he has told you. This is an eternal bath. It's forever. John 5, 24 says, it's an eternal thing. He gives unto us eternal life. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 1 says, There is therefore right now at this present time no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Did you know something, child of God? If you've had this washing of regeneration, that you're just as good as in heaven right now. It's secure. Because it's not based in me. It's not based in our pastor. But it's based in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ when he shed his blood on Calvary. The third bath I want you to look at in John's Gospel, chapter number 13, is the partial bath. The partial bath. John's Gospel, chapter 13, verse number 10. This is an entirely different word that is used in the, uh, for washed that we have currently studied. This word here, and Jesus says unto him, he that is washed needeth not save to wash, wash his feet. Now that word is the Greek word niptos, niptos. And it's where we get our English word nip, nip. You ever heard anybody say that, you know, perhaps they had a little problem with drinking? They said, I quit drinking, I just now take a little nip. In other words, they're just saying, I don't drink as much as I used to. But that's this word. It means partial. Not altogether, but just a partial thing. It means a nip. What did our Lord use here? In this partial bath, in this nip toss, if you will. Well, I want you to look first of all that he uses in verse number five, John 13. It says, After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. He uses water. Well, what is water a symbol of in the Bible? It's his word. John's Gospel, chapter 15, and verse number 3, he says this, Now you are clean through the word I have spoken to you. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Psalms 119 and verse 9, it says, How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to thy word. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 26 says that he might sanctify and cleanse with the washing of the water by the word. 1 John 1 9 says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So how do you clean? How does he He portrays using a basin of water. How do we clean ourselves? By getting into the book. I've heard it said, and I I kind of agree with this statement. It says that sin will keep you from the book. 
but also the book will keep you from sin. So let me encourage you, child of God, if you don't have a regular scheduled time of study and prayer, get you one. This is how God communicates through and talks to us by his Holy Spirit as he illuminates and he opens up the word to us. And what does it do? It cleans us. Jesus uses a basin of water to portray this picture. But how do we clean up? Right here. Get in this book. Get in this book. Who needed it? Who needed this cleansing? Every single disciple there. So don't think this morning that that Brother Frank is just talking to a certain few. I'm talking to everybody. Even me. We all need cleansing. Just as those disciples walk down those dusty roads with their sandals and they need their feet washed. You see, in that day they had public bathing areas where that a person may go down in the morning to this public bathing area. They would take their bath and then along the way as their feet got dirty or at the end of the day they might just wash their feet. Or if they entered into someone's home, they would, as an act of, uh, 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 what do we call it here? We call it uh, hospitality. Hospitality. You'd wash their feet. Every single disciple there needed this washing. And we do too. The purpose of us having this partial bath of this washing he says in verse 10 he says he says jesus says unto him he that is washed needeth not to say to wash his feet but you're clean every whit and you're clean but not all verse 8 as he's talking to peter he says if i wash thee if i nip toss if i don't wash your feet if i don't keep you clean you don't have a part with me now part with him that speaks of communion it speaks of sanctification it speaks of fellowship if you want a deeper richer fellowship with the Lord get into the book study his word seek him in prayer and you'll get a closer fellowship you'll have communion with him Jesus says, Peter, if I wash thee not, you don't have fellowship with me. You don't have communion with me. There's a difference in being with him and in him. He didn't say in him. He was already in him. That speaks of union. That speaks of justification. That speaks of salvation. What he's talking about here is communion and fellowship. Every one of them, every one of us need it. We have to come aside and put our feet out and says, Lord, wash them. Clean me up. There's three B's in this chapter, and then I'm going to close. There's three B's in this chapter that I want to draw your attention to. The first B is found in verse number one. It says, after the feast of Passover, Passover speaks of blood. That's where it all begins. That's where we must begin. we got to begin with the blood of Christ. The second B you find is in verse number 5. Where he takes a basin 
of water and he washes his disciples' feet. That's fellowship. And then the third B is found in verse number 23 when John was there and he's got his head leaning on his bosom. A lot of people want to go to the bosom first. They want that closeness with the Lord. But first, folks, you've got to go to the basin. And before you can ever reach the basin to have its effectual power, you've got to be under the blood. The blood, the basin, and then the bosom. He tells us that this is an example. Verse 15, he says, I've given you an example, not an ordinance, but I've given you an example that you should do as I've done to you. What does that tell us? I want to be really, really careful. 